Ready? And five, four, three, two, one. It really opens up the creativity of, of a machinist to be reverse engineering shapes that maybe were molded mm -hmm. and they can print them. And so uh, we like to say, you know, think outside the blocks with 3D printing. And it literally is thinking from the inside out instead of the outside in. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. We're coming to you from the Windy City, and this is the podcast to equip manufacturing leaders. We're happy to have you with us today, and here's what we have coming up in this episode. Jim and I are going to interview John Bauchlin from Bauchlin R&D about 3D printing. This is definitely a, a hot topic in the machine shop manufacturing environment. Yeah, it's going to be great to hear about his business model doing 3D printing in a machine shop environment. I'm excited. I would like to introduce John to the show. John Bachland is a veteran tool and die maker. He's been in the industry since he was 19 years old, much like myself, both learned on the shop floor. John worked with his dad for many, many years in Bachland R&D, uh, doing CNC machining and tool and die work. Currently in 2015, his dad, Dale, is still involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the business, and his wife, Tara, is also on staff as well. So it's truly a family business. It truly is. It's great to have him with us today and hear all about what they do. Bachland, by the way, is in Hutchinson, Minnesota. I don't know exactly where that is. When John comes on mic, we'll have to ask him where that is in relation to... Um, Minneapolis. So, but before we get started and introduce John, I'd like to talk a little bit about manufacturing news. You know how I get my news. I go to Google manufacturing news daily and uh, I try to provide thought leadership to all of our listeners and all the people that follow me on social. And I came across one on Reuters the other day. It's talking about aerospace manufacturing and quoting it and saying that the United States has become the hot spot for aerospace manufacturing. And I have to say personally that I know a lot of, I have a lot of peers and friends in this industry and I, that's what I'm hearing. It's like the trend is all this new aerospace type work and people are going out and getting their aerospace credentials so they can start working for the major airlines. And as we all know, the evolution of manufacturing is changing from Chinese and overseas markets back to the United States. And it, it only seems like a good fit to have manufacturing for aerospace, high technology, high precision parts done in a quality. That's what we need to do as American manufacturing companies is to bring those higher tech, higher value jobs here because by and large, you know, some of the lower cost overseas countries have taken over a lot of that lower cost work. Is a lot of this centered around Boeing it, and Airbus? It is. Oh. It is. I'm okay. just reviewing the article and it says U.S. aircraft manufacturer Boeing is moving more production in-house to U.S. plants, reducing the outsourcing used for the 787 Dreamliner. Yeah. Cause that was the 787 was big on a globally manufactured. Right. 
airplane. And that was one of the big things about it. So now they're deciding, well, maybe we should shift more of that manufacturing back to the United States. It's all great. We've news. tried that and, you know, it's better to have some of these high quality components manufactured here. It, it just keeps it all here. The synergy is good. The shipping is much reduced and it's a welcome return to this renaissance that we're going through right now. Absolutely. Well, let's hear it for that. Yeah. Why don't we get into the podcast? John, welcome. Hey guys. Thanks. Like Jim mentioned, John, Buckland R&D, they're a family business. They're definitely staying along the cutting edge of technology. What we're going to be talking to John about today is 3D printing in a job shop environment. So first of all, John, why don't you explain to our listeners the equipment, the 3D printing equipment that you have, and maybe help us out with some 3D printing definition of terms. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, you know, we only have one machine as a job shop or a tool and die shop, traditionally progressive dies. We just stepped in about two and a half years ago into 3D printing and we wanted to just, you know, get our feet wet, see what would happen. As far as terms, our machine is a, it's an FDM machine. FDM stands for fused deposition modeling. And what it is, is it's a very hard plastic as opposed to some of the other plastics that are you know sla sls that type of stuff so what does uh, this, sla and sls stand for yeah uh selective laser sintering it's a laser that uses more of a, a softer plastic it gets a, a much better finish than the fdm the fdm lays the plastic down melted in what we call a filament and so it puts little layers of about seven thousandths and up you can use different tips different sizes in the machine, but it will layer it as it builds. And so then it has to kind of build a little lattice structure and that kind of stuff. In the laser machines, it melts the plastic. And so it becomes one piece across the entire piece, but it's also a softer plastic that's more susceptible to heat and different things like that. We chose the FDM because we can tap it, we can drill it, we can machine it. It's very durable, almost like a molded part. Okay. So I assume that as a machining company, you chose a machinable product because you wanted to be able to add value after the additive manufacturing process. Is that correct? Absolutely. And we weren't in molding until we got our 3D printer that led us into molding. So, Okay. Okay. I wouldn't say that anybody can just 3D print because I know that that's not true. There is you know high level expertise there, but for you to add other processes behind the 3D printing definitely provides you know more value for your customers. Absolutely, that really made us stand out in the world of 3D printing because there are service bureaus that do post processing, but we're not just 3D printing. We're introducing the thermal plastics and the 3D printing to our customers as an alternative, offering them the ability to do things that are very difficult to machine for either prototyping and quite a bit of end-use parts. Okay. So when you say end-use parts, you mean actual where you'll get a job for X number of parts and they'll all be machined on the 3D printer as opposed to just making a prototype? Absolutely. And I like that you said machined on the 3D printer because a lot of people say additive manufacturing and I say additive machining because it is a machine. It's a machine tool in my shop. And so I like that you said that, but you know, one of our jobs that we have ongoing every couple of months is 300 parts that a company uses, and they are a wear part, so they do wear out after a certain amount of time. And we actually put a, well, it's a seven thousandths piece of stainless steel shim stock into the part, and then we epoxy over it, and then it goes into 
a component in production for a laser guard for a little heat shield. And eventually it wears out, but that is an ongoing production job that's an end use part. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What are the costs of the materials that you use in that additive machining center? It's all new to me, but I just want to know, you know, like this SLA material, is it is it a costly material? So we actually use FDM, but it comes in a spool on a filament. It looks like a wire. So okay. it's just a thin filament of plastic. And as far as cost, <laughs> compared to everything else in our shop, it's cheap. <laughs> really? But okay. If you took a square inch of material, it'd probably cost about $7. Okay. okay. $7 for a square inch. For a cubic inch, yeah. Okay. And what is, the, what is the size? What is the capacity? Is it like 12 by 12? You know, I'm a CNC guy, so I'm always rating. What is the table size? What is the envelope of the machine? Our machine is a 14 by 16 by 16. Got it. But if you think of it this way, we can puzzle piece parts together so we can make something as big as you want it. So we oh, can make so it a 23 okay. foot part. Yeah. Got it. So you're, you're making the little pieces and you're going to put it all together at the end of the day. You could. Yeah. We could make a very large, you know, we could make body panels for cars. We could do lots of stuff, but we'd have to piece them together. And then you either plastic weld them. That means you melt the material to itself or you epoxy. Or you can ultrasonic weld. You can do a lot of stuff with it. And then what about tolerance? Because, you know, you know about tolerance. You've been in this industry your entire life. You know what it's like to take an end mill and cut metal to a precision length. How is this additive machining, how close a tolerance can you pile up that material on one, on one another? Well, I'll tell you something. You know, we are the 50 millionths guys, and we are... Being a tool and die shop, we just built a die that has a tenth clearance on the punches, and we found out that we have to go down to 20 millionths clearance on the punches. And so we're building six more dies with that type of tolerance. So I was incredibly disappointed when I first got my machine right. because the, the tolerances were, you know, plus or minus three or four thousand. So that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Well, I'll tell you what we did. We modified our machine. And we get tolerances plus or minus five tenths all day long out of our machine. So we're also the kind of guys that tear machines apart to make them work better. So you customized your 3D printer? We did. Is that a proprietary customization or is that something that you'd be willing to let our listeners know about? Honestly, I've been asked by a very large 3D printing manufacturer to see my machine, and I said no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good for you. Keep, keep that, keep there's that your answer. There's your answer. Good for you. Yes. I would trade them for two or three machines. They can have it, and they could tear it apart and figure out what I did, but I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Great. If you were to give us kind of a snapshot of the business that you do on your 3D printer, you know, half of it is this type, quarter of it, what, what does that look like? Oh, very good. Uh, about 40% would probably be in the realm of customers prototyping. So they're going to prototype, they're going to put it in something, they're going to tear it up, you know, see if it works, see if it fits. And a lot of that we have to do some post machining on. So then we probably have about 30% is end use. So it's going to go into something and it's a functional part. It could be like those 300 parts that you do on a regular basis. Right. We made a little high-pressure nozzle, and we helped the customer with the design because, obviously, high-pressure water will cut through 
pretty much anything, right? Right. <laughs> and so we helped them with the design and we made two of them and they haven't reordered. So they're really, they're in production, they're working, they're on the line. And it was a, a shape that was very difficult to machine because you can do internal channels and different things like that that you can't machine. Okay. So then we probably have the remaining percentage is... Be 30, if I'm right. adding correctly. Right. Is in-house use and, you know, people asking us to just see if we can do certain things. So it might be a project that somebody... It's not even a prototype. It's, they just want something to, I don't know, hold something. Or One guy called up one day and he wanted us to print out this shape for his desk. Like a replacement part, a one-off that right. it's easiest just to make it in a 3D printed environment. Right. We do a bit of reverse engineering too. People will send in parts that are expensive to buy and they'd like it made out of plastic. They don't want to replace it with a cast whatever part, aluminum mm -hmm. or cast, whatever. And so we reverse engineer. And those are nice little jobs because it really opens up the creativity of, of a machinist to be reverse engineering shapes that maybe were molded mm -hmm. and they can print them. And so uh, we like to say, you know, think outside the blocks with 3D printing. And it literally is thinking from the inside out instead of the outside in. Okay. I love that. Great. Thanks. It's great. When you cost out a job to a customer, are you breaking down all those different costs, you know, the, the R and D, the design, you know, the prototyping versus the production? Absolutely. You know, we have printing hourly rates, we have design hourly rates, and then the material cost figures in. The material cost figures into what? Let's say we're printing for 75 hours. Okay. So now you've got probably you know, anywhere from 80 to 150 or $200 worth of material going into a part. So that starts to figure into your cost. Okay. I know most of our listeners probably have developed their hourly rates for their machines over a period of time. And, and you know, they probably really refine that as far as quoting goes. But did it take you a while to figure out exactly what you should be charging per hour for the printing component of your 3D printing? I can tell you that we're higher than most because of the type of work we do. You know, we've surveyed the field and, you know, asked for tolerances and most places say you'll never get that from a printed part. And that's, you know, we're doing those high end tolerances on our machine. And so we don't tell them that we do <laughs> get those tolerances on our machine, but we are probably three times more expensive than your average service bureau. Well, cause because you're, you're holding three times better tolerances. Right. We're offering more from our 3D printed. We treat them like machine parts. So when they come out, they're measured. We don't just print something out and then put it in a box and ship it. Okay. You know? And that's how you feel most 3D printing service companies handle their parts. Well, they may check critical features, but I want to know what our machine is doing. So we take a look at everything. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Okay. When you print a 3D part, is it have it programmed, put the material in, turn the lights out and let it print? Or is it something that has to be more closely monitored? No, that's what I love about the machine. You know, you get three shifts seven days a week and nobody has to do anything. Um, there is, it depends on the part. You know, now that I say that, it depends on the part. So if we're looking for a certain type of flatness, if we've got very thin walls and we're looking for structural integrity and tolerance, then you may monitor it. We can put pauses in the programs and we can go inside and check. 
inside the machine. But the machine is an oven. You know, the reason I chose the 400M is because of the controlled environment. If you want any integrity in a 3D printed part, it can't be in an open air printer. It's okay. got to be in an enclosed <laughs> environment because that material is curing. Then you can control the, the shrink rate, the growth rate, that type of stuff. Okay. Okay. If one of our listeners, a job shop, wanted to get started in the additive manufacturing, they wanted to buy an additive manufacturing center, what recommendations would you give them before they bought a machine? The cool thing about machinists and shops that have CNC machines and people programming and designing and things like that is if you get a high enough end machine, if you get a high level machine, the the 400 and above has a software that you can design and that you can control. The 400 that I bought and below has a software which is basically click this button and let it print. So we can control our raster size. We can control our layer, th- everything. We can control where our support goes so we can customize the print. And guys that program already, you know, they'd look at it and they go, oh, this is great. But my machine was $160,000, which... That was my next question. Right. For a lot of small job shops, I mean, when I bought the machine, that was 10% of my gross income that year, you know? And so it was a huge purchase. I mean, I actually went with my pickup and picked it up, and I had to argue with them over it because I couldn't afford to have it shipped an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're kind of wrapping things up a little bit, John, but I I just wanted to touch on something else that I think that you're very savvy at, and that's uh, your social media savvy. I mean, that's how we were introduced to you. Uh, uh, Jason Mm -hmm. was, and you started communicating, I I, I don't know on what social platform. I think John and I just started retweeting each other's, you know, information out there. Was that you or was that my influence for social came through my kids? And when I saw how powerful it was, it kind of intrigued me. So I, I went in that direction and hence where we're at today. What started you on that social media journey? Well, you know, about 17 years ago or so, I actually used to build websites. And so that was back in the day where I I had to, you know, you had to program HTML. Oh, yeah, and I learned that. <laughs> nowadays, it's so easy. But because I did that, I actually understood how the web works. And so we started in our, our social media campaigns, you know, on Facebook about maybe, I don't know, five years ago. And now we're on every platform. And my wife and I share the responsibility. She does a lot of the posts, but we share the responsibility and we talk about it and who we're going to contact. You know, do we want to target like you guys? Do we want to target the Making Chips podcast? Of course we do. You know, so, you know, let's find out who they are, see what they're doing. If we like what they do, you know, then we'll support them by retweeting their stuff and, you know, and then it all, you know, it's kind of that pay it forward kind of thing and it works out. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners for working with your wife? We should do a podcast on that. Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) Oh, is it that in depth? (laughs) I love my wife dearly, but I don't think I could ever work with her from nine to five. So, you know, Tara and I do, you know, she's three days a week at the shop now. So we ride together a half hour to work. We ride back together and, you know, we plan our day on the way in and we decompress on the way home and we spend our evening maybe going for a walk or riding our bicycles or a motorcycle ride. We truly have found a way to enjoy each other throughout 
our day in business. There are times when I know to leave her alone and she knows that I'm busy and I got to get stuff done. You know, it really works out. And to have somebody that's so close to you, you guys know in business, you have to have an implicit trust in the people that are working in your company. Absolutely. And that's serious business. And to have somebody that's so close that understands what I'm doing is so powerful in business. Uh, if something happened to me, she could take over the company. Great. And, you know, with our, our connectedness with technology, we went to Brazil two years ago and we ran the company from our computers and our phones. I put up jobs. I quoted. I have a TV in the shop that is our basically our new new age marker board where we put jobs and guys can get them. And I was putting little rewards on the TV so guys would find it. I'd say, whoever sees this first gets $50. And cool. <laughs> guys would be texting me. I saw the $50 in my first, you know, so <laughs> just checking to see if they're reading what's getting put up, you know. <laughs> I, lo I love that culture. I think it's fabulous. It's awesome. Yeah. So John, thank you. And we're going to wrap up this episode really quickly. I know that you, we, we have a segment called metalworking tools and I know that you just, um, that you actually have a college system that you promote on your website. So would you like to briefly talk about that? Cause I understand that that's a product that can be used in a, in a metalworking machining environment. Wow. Thank you. You know, that that's a work holding device that we designed and patented and it, originally was designed to hold a 550 pound forging on a vertical surface to be horizontally milled. And we made a four and a half, a four inch pin and a two and a half inch pin. And those were the only two things holding that 550 pound piece locating on the holes and holding in the holes with no heads, like not like a cap screw, mm -hmm. just a smooth bore surface holding. And we machined that entire part and it became a regular fixture in our shop. And so we do three eighths diameter, 12 millimeter, half inch, and we can do custom sizes right now, but they hold down and they locate plus or minus two tenths. So great. 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 Yeah. To wrap this up, I just want to, there's a few things that I want our listeners to know that I've learned from this particular episode that you shared with us, John, and, and thank you again for being with us. But the thing I learned the most is that, you need an environmentally controlled 3D printer if you want to retain close tolerances. And like you had said that you customized your machine so you can achieve plus or minus a half thousand. I didn't realize that 3D printers were in excess of $160,000, but you shared with us the software aspect of buying that higher end machine. And then the type of additive materials you use as a filament plastic. And lastly, you just want to call it additive machining rather than additive material parts. Yeah. So. And if I could add, you know, one of the other important things is that, you know, John does add other processes after the printing. Post-machining. So, yeah, Post-machining. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, we need you to do two things. We need you to go to our website, makingchips.com and enter your email list in order to receive this and other episodes as soon as they come out. And tell your peers in the manufacturing industry about making chips. If they're not listening to this podcast, they should be. So we're here just to help our listeners equip them to make better decisions in their day-to-day -day manufacturing life, career. Lastly, I just want to say if they want to get a hold of John, they can get a hold of John at John, J-O-N, Bachland, B-A-K-L-U-N-D.com. Or his Twitter feed is J-O-N, B-A-K-L-U-N. 
D. And also, uh, you can connect with John on LinkedIn as well. Great. Well, what do we say here at Making Chips, Jim? We say if you're not making chips, you're not making money. And I guess in this episode, we talked about everything. <laughs> not just making chips, but also printing parts. So Absolutely. with that, that's it. We're done. Bam. 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 This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners for working with your wife? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she... She's probably pretty expensive. <laughs> I don't if, mean working with if, your wife. I mean, <laughs> oh, with their wife. As the, yeah. owner, <laughs> as the oh, owner of a company to work with their wife. I'm sorry. Yeah. I interpreted that wrong too. <laughs> do, <laughs> do I have advice on working with your wife in business? With one's yes. wife. <laughs> right.